welcome to the weekly sermon podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. One thing about kiddos is they'll always make a liar out of you if you aren't careful. I told Matt whenever we was putting this together, I said, man, just let those kids grab their own Cracker Jacks. I said, they'll be efficient. It'll be like a locust swarm. Them suckers will be out of the boxes quicker than you can ever begin to hand them out, you know. So sure enough, they went a little bit slow this morning. But uh, Cracker Jacks brings back a lot of memories for me. You know, there's certain memories that you always tie back to, to different individuals. So I look back at my early family life and... And with my dad, I always remember the hunting and fishing. We were always doing something together outside. With, with my mom, I always remember school activities. My mom happened to be the secretary of uh, the school district where I was, right under the superintendent. And so, you know, I rode to school with her every day and all the school activities, she was with me. But one thing I remember about my grandma is her deal. Grandmas always have a deal, right? And my grandma's deal, my mother's mother, her deal was special snacks. And so when we went to her house, it was usually a box of Cracker Jacks like that. That's how they looked in my day. I think they were about that big, too. I remember when I was a kid, they seemed like a big old box. Sometimes Cracker Jacks, sometimes animal, animal cookies, and, and I always remember that. And I think the, the reason I remember it so much is because inside that, just like what Matt said, we got these toys. There was, now, these days, it's always a little paper or something, but whenever I got Cracker Jacks, there was little toys in there, you know, little plastic shovel, little spinners, little tops, Little pennants, all kinds of different things. Whistles. Whistles were pretty good if you got a whistle. And, and so uh, probably a lot of you experienced the same thing. Now, a lot of those toys that you got in Cracker Jacks are pretty lame. I mean, you know, look up there at that little plastic axe and that plastic shovel. What are you going to do with that? And I mean, they were little. They were like, you know, this big. I mean, you couldn't do very much with that. Or one of them little troll dolls, dude. That was not my deal, little troll doll. But sometimes, if you were lucky, you got something that was really pretty good. Now, they made these things. Y'all remember those? They're a little pinball game. It was really ingenious because it's just a little plastic thing, and it had a little clip on the bottom. You can barely see it there, and you could pull that and flip it, and it'd shoot the little ball up, and you try to make it land where you wanted to. So that was, that was pretty cool. But once in a blue moon... You would really score, and you'd get one of the little Cracker Jack knives, about that big, and then you could unfold it, and it'd be about that big. And man, I'm telling you, when I was a little kid, if I got one of them Cracker Jack knives, I thought I was like the big man on campus to get one of those, because, you know, Dad had a knife, and now I had a knife, too. But, as you can probably discern already some of the the gifts that you got in Cracker Jack seem more special than others and so if me and my brother went to grandma's house and we both got Cracker Jacks all right and I opened my Cracker Jacks and I got something lame like a little troll doll and he opened his Cracker Jacks up and he got something great like one of them pinball machines or one of them little pocket knives. Well, there was envy and there was jealousy. And before you know it, guess what? You have two boys having a squabble over their Cracker Jack gifts. And I bring all that up this morning because as hard as it is to believe, a similar kind of dynamic happened in the early church when it came to spiritual gifts. 
And, and, and that's what I really want to talk to you about this morning. But before I get into that squabbling that happened in the, in the early church over spiritual gifts, I want to remind you of some very basic truths about spiritual gifts. Ray says repetition is good, and, and there's just certain core truths I want to make sure you get. And one of the core truths I want to make sure you get is this. Before you come to Christ, before you are a Christian, you don't have a spiritual gift. Because spiritual gifts come with the Holy Spirit, and before you know Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You know, before we knew the Lord, sin was a very common thing for us. And I'm not saying that it still doesn't happen. It certainly does. But, but before we knew the Lord, we could have all kinds of sin in our life, and many times we weren't bothered by it because we didn't even know we had it. For example, I, I had a filthy mouth as a young man. I mean, I had bad language. I had no idea that that bothered anybody. I mean, it was how everybody in my circle of friends talked. I just thought that it's how it was. And then I went to work for a company where there was an older gentleman who was a Christian, and he, he had a problem with bad language. And then it began to dawn on me that, yes, my language was bad, and I began to try to correct it because of that. But I didn't know I had it. And, and so there's people that, that have bad language. There are people who are engaging in sex outside of marriage. There are people who are racist. There are people who are proud. There are people who are self-important, kind of like the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember the story where the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to pray, and the Pharisee said, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all other people. And he listed off all of the good things he did and all of the bad things the, collector, the, the tax collector did. Well, we can have those kinds of sins going on in our life. And we can be totally unaware of them before we actually have that encounter with, with God's Spirit. But just because we're not bothered by those sins in our life, it doesn't mean that God's not bothered by those sins in our life. Because while I may not have been convicted by my language or by my sexual activities or anything else, God most certainly was bothered by those things. And let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to move into a bad neighborhood. The Holy Spirit is not going to move into a life where sin is the common and ordinary operating pattern and the person has no conviction, no concern, no sorrow in their heart about the sin that they have. But once we begin to realize that there really are some things in our life that are A of all destructive to us, B of all, they are offensive to God. And we begin to recognize that maybe we are not everything that we once thought that we were, but instead we may be people who are under God's judgment or who at least deserve God's judgment. And we begin to struggle with that and we hear the gospel of Christ and we say, you know what, I realize that I really am a sinner. I do believe that Jesus Christ really came and died for me. And we cry out to God and we say, God, I don't want to be how I am. I am sorry for the sin in my life. It pains me. It grieves me. I know that it pains and grieves you. Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me. I want to receive the forgiveness of Christ and I want to live for you. At that moment, folks, the neighborhood changes. 
And the Holy Spirit is willing to come into our life and He is willing to dwell in us. And it is at that moment that we receive the greatest gift that we can receive. Matt compared it to these Cracker Jacks with the kiddos. And in a way, that's not a bad comparison. Because let me tell you something, when we get to that place where we're done with sin and we cry out for Christ, God gives us the greatest, sweetest, most amazing gift that we could get. And if you have ever come to Christ, you know exactly how sweet and how amazing and how exciting that moment was. But as Matt said, you don't just get God, you do get Him. You get, you get when, when God comes, he, he brings everything about Him to you, but you receive something more. And that something more that you receive is, in fact, not just the Holy Spirit, but it is a spiritual gift that is brought into your life with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are all kinds of spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, there are at least four different lists of spiritual gifts. And for those of you who like to take notes, there it is. There's four places in the New Testament where we find lists of spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, two of them are found in 1 Corinthians. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And uh, I'm not going to discuss all of those lists this morning. And by the way, there is no such thing as a comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. A lot of times we go to Romans or we go to 1 Corinthians, we read that list of gifts and we think that that's all the spiritual gifts that there are. Guys, those are spiritual gifts that Paul felt led to address in the particular letter and the particular situation that he was writing to, but there are further spiritual gifts than that. But, but these are good lists. I'm not going to go through these lists today and talk about each individual spiritual gift. I'm probably going to do that next week. But what I do want to do this week is just give you a little bit of a broad overview of what kind of gifts the Spirit brings into our life. So if you will, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, as I said, two of the lists are found here, so we're kind of going to run through these. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 8, is where we're going to find the first one. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, it says, To one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, word of wisdom. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. We'd call that word of knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is said. It is, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, if you'll skip down there in chapter 12, near the bottom of chapter 12, we find another little list. Verse 28. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First, there are apostles, 
Second, there are prophets. Third are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gifts of healing. Those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership. Those who speak in unknown languages. Now, I have a list of those gifts here that he has listed. And uh, I would ask you to look at those for a minute and see if there's something that jumps out at you. Actually, maybe two or three things might jump out at you. What, what are some things you notice as you look at this gift list that's been put together from 1 Corinthians? Notice anything? Okay, one of the things that you can see is there's a little bit of overlap. See if my little green light's going to work. Sometimes it does, sometimes it don't. It says it's working, but it don't appear to be. That's dandy, I'll tell you. Technology's awesome. There it goes. So, one thing you see a little overlap. For example, number 12 lists the prophet. And then over here, number 6, you have prophecy. So, that seems to be some overlap. Number 5 is miracles. When you go down to verse, uh, or, or you get down to number 14, that's miracles. So, there's, there is some overlap between those lists. And so, you can't just look at that and say there's 18 different gifts listed there because there's overlap. But something else that I want you to see is how much variety that there is. That's a, there, there is a great difference in between these kinds of gifts there's a lot of if you look at the last three just as an example there's a lot of difference between helps and administration and tongues I mean that's a lot of variety just in three lines and, and so there's all different kinds of gifts and and one of the observations that I've made is that some of these gifts seem to be more common than others and by common, I don't mean that they appear more necessarily. By common, I just mean they're, they're more uh, ordinary, more regular. For example, if we talk about the gift of helps or service, what's amazing about that? I mean, if someone says, I've got the gift of helps or service, can you not help somebody even if you don't have the Holy Spirit? Sure. You can help somebody, you can serve somebody, even without having that spiritual gift. Likewise, what about, what about teacher? A teacher is someone who takes material, they learn it, they master it, they, they hopefully become uh, well enough acquainted with it that they in turn can turn around and pass that material on to others. Can you teach someone without having the Holy Spirit in your life? Sure you can. I mean, there are lots of people who are qualified teachers that don't necessarily have the spiritual gift of teaching. And then administration, that's the ability to organize things in a correct and efficient manner. Well, are there people who can manage things or administer things who don't even have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Now, I'm not suggesting that these things aren't spiritual gifts. Please don't hear me wrong. Because I think there is a profound difference between someone who can teach and someone who has, who has uh, been gifted by the Holy Spirit to teach. I think they are complete different animals. I think that there is a difference between someone who serves and someone who has been anointed and called by the Holy Spirit to serve. You will see a difference in their service. You will see a difference in their attitude in serving. You will see a difference in how they relate to God because of that service. So these clearly are spiritual gifts. Don't get me wrong. All I'm saying is that they're kind of ordinary. 
Because you can have someone in the church who is gifted to be an administrator and you can have someone in the world who is gifted to be an administrator and in some ways they, they will look remarkably the same. There's nothing spectacular about those gifts. But just look at the gifts that are left over. After you take out administration and teaching and helps, look what's left. You got your word of knowledge. You got healings. Miracles, prophecy, tongues, the ability to interpret tongues. That's what I'm talking about. Those are shiny gifts. Those are supernatural gifts. Those are gifts that are pretty hard to ignore. I can ignore someone who is just moving shoeboxes around doing service. But if somebody breaks out in a word of prophecy or tongues and interpretation, that's a little bit tough to ignore. That's, that's going to stand out. And, and so in the early church, many, and, and 1 Corinthians in particular, many of these churches that, that started outside Jerusalem were smaller churches. Many of them were house churches. There were a lot of spiritual gifts operating throughout the New Testament church, as there still should be. But, but in these smaller groups, you would have some people who maybe had one or more of these really shiny, supernatural kinds of gifts, these intuitive gifts. And they would stand up and say something like, Thus saith the Lord, and they would, they would tear out in a prophecy. And then there would be people sitting in that group who maybe had the gift of teaching. Or maybe they had the gift of administration. Or maybe they had the gift of helps. And they would sit there and think, wow, I wish I could say, thus saith the Lord. I wish God talked to me directly the way that God seems to be talking to them directly. And, and, and what you had is a situation developed that those who had these supernatural gifts, they began to feel superior. And the people who had these more common, ordinary gifts began to feel inferior. So much so that they said, my gift doesn't even count. And it is this very thing that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapters 12 through 14. We have the longest teaching in the Bible about spiritual gifts right here in 1 Corinthians. And the reason that we have it is because in the early church, people were jealous about, over each other's gifts. They were a little bit like me and my brother whenever we would squabble over the gift that came in the Cracker Jacks box, which, which one of us got the better thing. And, and that's the way it was in the early New Testament church. And so Paul writes, and, and, and what he said to them was really ingenious. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to see how he addressed this thing in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. What he did is he began to compare the spiritual gifts in the church to the parts of the human body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 12. It says, The human body has many parts, but many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? 
If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. What a great way to address that problem. I mean, Paul looks at all the squabbling and all of the jealousy and all the inferiority that people are feeling about spiritual gifts, and he said, you need to understand something. Listen, God has put the church together just like he has a body. A body has many parts, but not all the parts have the same function. In other words, I've got eyes, I've got a mouth. My mouth can't do what my eyes do, and my eyes can't do what my mouth does. I have a liver, and I have a colon. My liver can't do what my colon does, and my colon can't do what my liver does, but I need both of them to live. And and that's the point that Paul is making to the church. He said, listen, there are all kinds of things that are required to make a body function as it should, and God has equipped each of you with the exact gift that he needs in that body to make that body function. And it doesn't matter whether you feel like your part is more important or more special or whether you feel like your part is not needed because he said all of the parts are important. He said, listen, if the hand should say, because I'm not a foot, or if the foot should say I'm not a a hand, does that mean that that's not something that the body needs? Absolutely not not every part is needed he concludes by saying God has put the church together exactly how he wants it and he has placed every part exactly where he wants it to be so when we talk about the body of Christ what Paul is saying here is that we need each other In verse 21, he says, The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. He says some parts of the body that we consider to be weaker parts are actually the most necessary parts of all. Every person and every gift that God puts into his church, he has put there for a reason. If God has brought you to Cowboy Church of Ellis County, there is a reason that he wants you here. And it's not just because the Cowboy Church of Ellis County has a good band, although that may be why you're here, or just because the Cowboy Church of Ellis County has a certain method of dressing, although that may be why you're here, or that Cowboy Church of Ellis County has a particular kind of preaching. That's not why he put you here. 
He put you here because if you are a Christian, you have a particular spiritual gift that God wants active in this body. And every part is necessary. That's why he says in verse 27, all of you together, all of us together are Christ's body and every one of you is a part of it. And what Paul is trying to drive home here is this truth. And that is that the body that functions best is the body in which all of the parts are working. If your body has a part that is not working as it ought to, you're going to find out very quickly that even one or two parts not working can mess up the whole balance and dynamic of the body. This is the point that Paul was trying to make. All of this really became clear to me two or three weeks ago. I was putting together for a curriculum that we're writing a ministry list. And in this ministry list, what I did is I I would write the name of the ministry. And then I would sit there and try to think what kind of spiritual gifts is really necessary to make this ministry function as it should. And, And I went right down the list. Every one of our ministries, I did that. So let's take Celebrate Recovery just as an example. There are so many gifts that are required to make Celebrate Recovery work. First of all, you've got to have leadership. There are a lot of folks in there that they, they need that spiritual direction and, and they need someone to set the tone. And so you've got to have a, a leader. You've got to have someone with the gift of administration. Someone has, to, someone has to book the speakers. Someone has to make sure the music is there. Someone has to make sure that they, they have people appointed to set up the food and, and make sure everything about Celebrate Recovery goes off as it should. Almost every ministry that we have needs the gift of administration. I can tell you that. In Celebrate Recovery, you need someone with discernment. Someone with the ability to discern between the spirits. Someone who has the ability to discern between truth and falsehood. Because if you have dealt with people whose lives have been uh, filled with addiction and they're struggling with all kinds of chaotic issues, let me tell you, they're not always straightforward. And, And sometimes you also need the discernment to see whether someone who's coming through that door may be at the very, very edge. And you need to be able to see that there's someone who may be fixing to step off of the spiritual cliff and they need your intervention quickly. That's required in that ministry. In Celebrate Recovery, you need the gift of evangelism. There needs to be a few people in there who know the Lord Jesus Christ and who have a burning desire in their heart to speak Jesus Christ into the lives of others because healing is not going to start for anybody in there until they receive Jesus. Amen. So you need that gift of evangelism. You need people who have the gift of exhortation. You know, what what exhortation is, that's like encouragement. That's like saying, y'all, you can do this. It's being able to look at a brother or sister who is discouraged and say, listen, fear not. God has begun this good work in you. He's going to bring it on to completion. Exhortation. They need the gift of faith. There better be some people in Celebrate Recovery who believe in the power of God and who believe that God can do the work in those people's lives. Sometimes folks don't have their own faith. 
Sometimes for a season they've got to rely on somebody else's faith. That ministry needs the gift of faith. It needs the gift of healing. It needs the gift of help. It needs the gift of hospitality. There better be some people in there who when these folks come in and their lives are in trouble and they're looking for help, there better be someone who can make them feel welcome and want it. And, and to know that, that the people in the ministry are glad that they're there. They need people who have the gift of intercessory prayer. They need, the gift, they, they need people with the gift of mercy and pastoring, maybe even prophecy, certainly service and teaching, and I could go down. All of that, all of those gifts, just to make one ministry work the way God would have it work. Now, I want to show you the power of all of this. I want to show you the power that comes when we begin to recognize our spiritual gifts and and put them into use and we move together as a body. Look at all these boxes up here. You have any idea how many boxes there are up here? It's 2988. We'll go over 3,000 second service. Three thousand shoe boxes. Now, guys, these boxes are going to kids over in third world countries. That many of those countries are at war. Many of those countries are are consumed with drug lords. Uh, all kinds of issues in places where they're going. All of them deal with poverty. And it's estimated that every single one of these shoe boxes impacts about 10 people. So it doesn't just impact the child that receives the gifts, but it impacts their family. Now you might ask, how does that work? How does one box affect many people? I want to show you just a short clip if you'll bear with me. Go ahead and let's put that video clip up, guys. Mm-hmm. 
Guys, that's how these boxes work. It's an amazing thing. Here you had a child, and I, I know at the back you may not have been able to read the text. If you couldn't understand him, it wasn't your ears. It was the language barrier. But we had subtitles for you up in the front half of the sanctuary. So here you have a kid. He's on a bad path. I mean, his mom and his dad said he's going out. He's stealing because that's all he knows to do. He gets this gift, and it, and it, I don't know what it does. It shakes his world vision. It shakes his understanding of things. And, and the child is so impressed by the extension of the gift that he goes to the church to learn about Jesus. And he's converted. And he is so changed by that conversion that his mother and father notice it, and they're converted. And, and the father is so moved when he comes to Christ that he says, I, there, there's an area over here where there is no church, and I'm going to build a church over here where other people can come here by Jesus. That's the way all of this works. One box reaches 10 people, 3,000 boxes from this church. Guys, we are making a world's mission footprint of 30,000 people. Just with little shoeboxes. You couldn't even envision doing that a decade ago. It's an incredible thing that God is doing. But I want to talk just, just for a minute about how that happened. How did it happen? It happened because we had a youth leader who, who had a heart and a spiritual gift for doing missions. And she was praying about, well, how can we get the kids involved in some kind of mission? She didn't really know exactly what to do. You can't take every child overseas. It's just not feasible. It's not possible. And there was a youth person, just, just someone attending, that knew Bert. Bert Lyon, who runs Operation Christmas Child here in Ellis County. And, and the, the youth said, hey, can we send some of these shoeboxes? And so that first year, they, as the youth department, sent about 35 shoeboxes. My guess is that's probably about one for every youth. The next year, the youth really caught the vision, and there was 135 shoeboxes that went out. That began to catch our attention, and we decided, you know what, let's pray about doing this church-wide. And so the first year we did it as a church, we had 1,735 boxes go out. This year there were 2,900 plus, it will be 3,000, and we actually are the drop-off location for all of Ellis County for all of Operation Christmas Child. All of that, guys, required so many spiritual gifts. Somebody had to have the gift of apostleship and mission. Somebody had to have the gift of leadership. Somebody had to have the gift of prayer. Somebody has to have the gift of administration. A lot of administration going on here. Someone has to have the gift of service. 
I hope some of you have the gift of service because after the 1030 service this morning, we've got to put all of these little boxes in big ones. And last year, we only had about four or five people to do it, and it was a long slog. So I hope some of you who have the gift of service will be back after 1030 church to help us with that. Somebody had to have the gift of hospitality. Did you know that we had a team that showed up here every night this week, volunteer people, whose heart was to make people feel welcome. We had some people with the gift of prayer. And as people bought these shoe boxes from other churches, our, our team met them, brought them in, took their gift boxes in, prayed over those gift boxes. All of this just demonstrates how the spiritual gifts, and what about giving, by the way? If it weren't for the gift of giving, none of this could happen. And so without all of the spiritual gifts working together, we could never pull something like this off. But because we have, there will be 30,000 people reach for Christ. That's what can happen when God brings His people together with all of the gifts working in unison. And that's why Paul said, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. It took an awfully lot of people and an awfully lot of spiritual gifts to make all of this happen. And guys, as your pastor, I want to personally thank every one of you that participated in any way, whether it was in prayer, whether it was in packing, whether it was in giving, whether it was keeping records, whether it was hospitality, because trust me, there are places in the world where the fields are much, much whiter much riper for harvest than they are in America right now. And we are making an impact for Christ by doing this. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name, and we praise you and we thank you because, Lord God, you have put together a body that is fearfully and wonderfully made. Every church, Father God, that you knit together, you knit together in a special way. Lord, I thank you for the vision that this church captured to participate in this this year. I thank you, Father God, for the lives that it is sure to reach. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're making us more and more aware as we go through this time of study and preaching together of just how important our gifts really are. Lord, we pray for each one of these shoeboxes right now. We pray for the boy or girl that's going to receive it. We pray, Father God, that it will be received in joy. We pray that you will bless the gospel message that goes along with it. We pray that it will impact their families and impact their communities, just as the little video that we just watched demonstrated. And we pray, Father God, that you will multiply it and make it fruitful. Lord, thank you for the one who first had the heart to do all of this and uh, had the vision to do all of this. Lord, we thank you for uh, every gift that you give the church, and we lift it to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.